Well, I hope that some of you were able to watch the 2020 Olympics that happened in 2021, uh, the last few uh, weeks that that happened uh, recently, and be able to rejoice in some great skills and abilities that we saw from people all around the country. Uh, I know particularly I enjoyed watching uh, parts of the track meets of those who were running uh, that were just really showing off some amazing abilities uh, to be able to run, and particularly those who ran together. One of the uh, events that I was watching kind of in replay and, and listening to the report was actually the 4 by 400 mixed relay, where two men and two women are running together. And in that race, I don't know how many of you got to see that race, but in that race, as they were running together, uh, they are handing off a baton after each lap, and the U.S. team actually ended first. And yet in the replay, part of what they were watching and assessing was a handoff of the baton. See, what is needed is these runners to be able to run in sync, to be able to understand each other's pace, to be able to, to understand the footing and the positioning and the handoff, and that it works smoothly and cleanly every single time. Except in this race, the handoff wasn't smooth. It wasn't clean. And what happened was the runners ended up handing off outside of the box and they were disqualified. Even though they finished first, they lost the race because they weren't unified in what they were doing. See, a team like that, it requires unity for them to be able to finish well, to function together, to see that handoff made perfectly. And the teams that were doing it right, oh, it was a beautiful thing that they were synced their steps were in line, the handoff was smooth, every step was right, they understood the pacing, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful to watch as the race was run, and teams won, and yet in this circumstance, a team losing because they didn't have that unity. And as much as it's important for a team who's playing a sport to have unity in what they're doing, it's much more important for us as the church to have unity in what we're doing as we seek to love one another, to care for one another. And the reality that our unity should be something that is beautiful, something that causes other people to want to watch it, to see what we're doing, to think about why we're doing what we're doing, to ask questions, to be amazed at the beautiful picture of unity that they see with God's people. Obviously, unity is, is a hot topic, right? We're, we're kind of talking about this quite a bit over the last year and a half. There are many things that seek to divide our unity, that seek to break us apart. And so we know that this, this idea of seeking for unity is not something that's new to our culture. It is not something that is new to the world. Disunity exists everywhere. And there will always be a struggle for unity. But this morning, I want us to focus on how good unity is and how we can have unity. Wouldn't it be beautiful to know that we can always have unity? We don't have to try too hard to get it. To know that when we have it, things are working well and that it's beautiful. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 133. And this is the one idea that I want us to walk away with this morning. Our unity comes from God's blessing. Our unity comes from God's blessing. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133. If you're new to using a Bible, the Psalms are right in the middle, and you can open up there and find a large print number that should be 133, and we're going to look at Psalm 133. It's, it's a short 
few verses here, and I trust that I myself will be short, Lord willing. Let me read these verses as you follow along. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. This psalm is uh, really just four verses. And we see in the first verse kind of this uh, statement that brings us into focus, the the really main thought of this entire psalm in verse 1. But then verses 2 and 3, the first half of verse 3, give us two illustrations uh, to to help us understand the importance and and the value of this main thought. And then at the end of verse 3, we have kind of the fourth sentence, which gives us the foundation. It gives us an understanding of how this main thought of unity can exist. So let's consider point one, our unity, here in verses 1, 2, and 3a. Verse 1 starts out, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. What's really important for us to understand there is to recognize what is the author, the psalmist here, talking about when he refers to harmony. Think about this idea of us getting along of having peace, of having joy in what we do, to be able to be unified. And so you're going to hear me use the term unified throughout this sermon, expressing this idea of peaceful unity in which we get along and it creates harmony, that there is peace and joy and goodness in what we're doing. The word harmony makes up a lot of ideas that Many of us seek and want in our own lives. We desire this. We want to be harmonious with those that we're around. We want to live in harmony with one another. There's been many a song written about this in our culture of needing to be in harmony. And here, for us to to press into, what does it look like for us to have harmony, this peaceful unity? Well, it's described here as something that is good and pleasant, something that we should seek after and desire, something that we should have. And the reality that it's good for everybody, it's not just good for me, but to have peaceful unity means that it is good for those around me as well. And specifically here, we're given a context of when brothers live together. Uh, Here is the picture of the household, even thinking about the context of of those uh, to whom this was written in Israel. Many families, all related, brothers, sisters, parents, cousins, aunts and uncles, living in community. Now all of a sudden we start to realize part of what this psalmist is talking about when we think about the fracturing of unity between me and my brother or me and my sister in the household. And I think about that tension of my toy, my thing. Uh, Many of us know that and might have even heard that this morning. How good it is when the family can get along, when the family can be unified. Oh, those moments when when we say, all right, let's all watch a movie and everyone agrees instantaneously. Oh, that's peaceful. Oh, that that is a joyful moment for a family to be able to to be unified in what we want to do and in what we think about. And that picture gives us the beauty of unity that there is peace and harmony. But these are brothers who live together. 
this family together. Not just individuals, but a family united. To be able to express unity. Unity only happens when we are in community with one another. All right, but we're given two examples in verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. It is like the fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. Uh, Here, a picture of Aaron, the priest, being anointed with oil, consecrated as God's man to lead God's people in worship. But the emphasis here is actually on the oil. Notice how it says, on the head, and then on the beard, and then onto his robes. Well, what's being described here? It is an abundance of oil. It is an abundance of unity that is good to be seen, that is good to be experienced, that we have. But then the second illustration is very similar to the first, though the picture is different. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. Oh, here an expression of, of this massive mountain, Mount Hermon, and it being covered in dew covering the whole mountain, producing fruitfulness and growth on that mountain. And yet what is described, the dew that falls on the largest mountain here is being seen on the small, lesser Mount Zion. Here again, a picture of abundance, all of that dew that is settling on Mount Zion. I was able to experience this just a few weeks ago as the pastoral residents took a retreat out to a cabin out towards the coast. Uh, I slept in a tent overnight in the backyard of, a, of this cabin. And when I woke up in the morning, I thought for sure it had rained because my tent was sagging, the walls were wet, and I opened the little side door and all of a sudden I realized, no, it was just the thickness of the dew that had settled on the ground. It, it had gotten everything wet, everything was soaked. And yet, in that moment, as that dew settled, and the fruitfulness of the ground was seen, and the peacefulness of what was around me, the calmness. Here is a picture of the abundance of the dew that produces fruitfulness and that harmony in nature. These two pictures giving us an idea of the need for the abundance of unity, of what we experience in unity. That it is a good thing when it abounds. It it presses us towards our worship of God. It presses us towards fruitfulness as God's unity is on us. Hinson, I want to encourage you. Praise God for the unity that I and other elders and staff have seen over the last year and a half when there are many moments of which we could have been not united could have been frustrated, angry. Brothers and sisters, I'm greatly encouraged to be able to stand here this morning and say, I've seen a picture of this unity in your lives. As we've set aside lesser things and we've united on the gospel and our care for one another, we have functioned as the church is to function. We are representative of what God wants to happen with his people. So praise God. Continue to do what we're doing. And yet I hope this morning is both an encouragement and a challenge for us to continue in our unity. And hopefully over the last year and a half, you've seen how good and pleasant unity is when we can gather together, when we can spend time with one another and experience the goodness and the peace and the joy of being in one another's presence, of being together. And that's the catch, isn't it? In order to be unified, 
We have to be brothers and sisters who are together with each other. To be compelled that we continue to come back and join with each other to to fellowship and love one another. To give of ourselves to, to spend time so that we can encourage each other. This unity doesn't happen if we're set apart on our own, doing our own thing. It happens when we come together. This makes me think about my son's soccer team. Foster started soccer uh, this last week. Quite hilarious to watch a bunch of six-year-olds running around. And hypothetically, I'm the coach. I don't think that means anything, but we're having fun. And one of the things I started to ask myself is, if we have a bunch of individual children chasing a soccer ball around the field, is this really soccer? Is it really a team? If we cease to function as a team in unity towards one goal and one purpose, is it a sport still? Or is it just fun exercise? Now, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's a great picture of what we should ask ourselves about our gathering as a church. Are we just a bunch of individuals showing up, doing our thing, having fun, I guess, and we're going to go home? Or are we coming together with a single focus and a purpose, pursuing together being unified in what we're doing? Because that unity produces a beautiful picture of what God is doing here among us. And so I trust that you see the importance and the joy and the goodness of unity, that it is a good thing. But what you haven't really heard me describe yet is how we get unity. And so if unity is such an important thing, how do we get it? Well, going back to that main idea that that our unity, it comes from God's blessing. And so secondly, let's look at God's blessing in the second half of verse 3. For there, the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. It's important for us to focus on that second word there, the word there. What does that point us back to? Where is God's blessing? Well, it's with his people. It's Mount Zion. It's where the people are gathered together. Here is where God's blessing comes to his people, the church. And we see that the blessing is appointed by God himself. Uh, Now this informs us of something we need to know. Unity doesn't just come from you and I trying super hard. It doesn't come from us working really hard at what we're doing and we can create this unity that will last forever. No, unity is something that is appointed, it is given, it is assigned by God to his people. And therefore it draws our attention to then what unity has God given us. Oh, it's in this blessing. Life forevermore. Here we see the center of what all Christian unity should be. The blessing of life forevermore. Because we recognize that as our world and our culture seeks to find unity, that this world is broken. Because unity with God was broken in the garden when we sinned through Adam. Adam and Eve sinned. Curse was delivered to mankind, and part of that curse was that we were separate from God. There was no longer unity with our Creator. And God promised that He would send a deliverer who would restore that relationship with the Father. And we see in the New Testament Jesus Christ Himself being one with the Father. He Himself proclaiming that, and that being evident in His life lived as the perfect Son of God, the spotless Lamb, 
And what did he do? He took on himself our sin, paying the price, the penalty for sin. He died on the cross. And yet one of the greatest expressions of his unity with the Father was that Jesus Christ himself was risen from the dead. He rose from the dead, proving that he was God and that he was one with the Father. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, it brought to us salvation. This is the center of unity. It is gospel hope. It is what we look to to unify us together. And so if you're here this morning and and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, if you've never heard the message of the gospel, I'd encourage you, talk to whoever you came with. If you didn't come with anyone, talk to most of the people sitting around here, right? We would love to talk to you and tell you about this is the gospel message. This is what we believe to be the center of what brings us together, what binds us together as a community, as a people of God. It is the hope of Jesus Christ. And whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and repents of sin, can find hope and faith in him. And in him is life forevermore, eternal life. But for those of us who have trusted in the gospel, does this continue to be at the center of our lives? A hope in what Christ has accomplished for us. Is this what actually unifies us? Because often we're looking for other things that I can do in my life that might unify me with somebody else, rather than what is the work that God did in our lives that already unifies us. It reminds us that God is the one who has appointed this work for us. Bonhoeffer remarks in his book, Life Together, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Unity is a beautiful gift from God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is eternal life that brings us together. And so the gospel must be at the center of our unity. We really can't know true, I, we can't know true unity unless the gospel is at the center. And so it calls into question, where is my identity? Is it in who I am and what I do and what I'm accomplishing in this life, or is my identity found first and foremost in Jesus Christ? The need to die to self and ask, what can I do that will create the most unity? Oh, it's to depend on the work of Jesus Christ. It's actually not what I do. It's what Christ has done. And this starts at the earliest stages. So I'd love to remind you as kids in the household who are living with other siblings, who are having to listen to parents, where does unity come in your household? It comes from dying to yourself. That's a great message, right, parents? I find myself talking to my kids about this often, and I pray that one day they'll fully understand. But it is true, even for the kids in our household, the truth is, When there are things that I want that my sibling has, when there are ways that I want that my parents won't allow, how do I find unity and peace in the household? Oh, it's to remember that Christ, first and foremost, has accomplished the most important thing that I need. He's accomplished salvation. And trusting in him and finding faith in him actually resolves all those other life concerns because I can easily then die to myself and give up the things I want 
to be able to care for others and love others and obey my authority. It comes out of a dying to self and loving my family. That creates unity. Oh, but that applies even to us as the church. Perhaps for us as Christians, we this week need to consider, who do I need to call, pick up the phone, and talk to them about the fact that we're not unified in this matter? And I've allowed something outside of the gospel to break apart this relationship, to create disunity. To make that phone call, to send that email, to have that conversation over a cup of coffee, and to say, let's remember the gospel first and foremost, that we are one in Jesus Christ. And in that context, now I can have a conversation about my political views, about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, about what I do in life and what you do in life and what we disagree on and how we parent or how we live. Those conversations come in the context of the gospel. Otherwise, I'm promoting myself and what I think is right and best. Those conversations help put the gospel. The gospel helps put those conversations in perspective. It helps inform the way that we communicate on things that maybe we disagree on. And so before we start that conversation with a fellow church member or family member, ask, how does God's blessing and salvation put this conversation in perspective? This is part of our unity together is to remind ourselves first and foremost that we are united in life eternal, in Christ's work. This is part of the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We get to do this today, to remind ourselves of our perspective, that we would be united together in the way that we live and love one another, first and foremost, because of Christ's work, which resolves those concerns and issues I have with someone else if I can approach it in the context of the gospel. We are united with one another over something far more important than our secondary concerns. This is also one of the reasons that the elders want to dig into our statement of faith in the coming year. Oh, it's not because we don't love our statement of faith. We're grateful that we have these statements that point to the truth of God's word and that remind us of, of what we believe together. Oh, but we want to take that deeper. We want to strengthen that language and strengthen the reminder to ourselves. This is what we believe together. It's not just a surface level, yes, Jesus died, and now we can be happy because he died for my sin. No, it is the gospel changes my relationship. It is, adorn, it, it is something that is appointed by God to change my experience with fellow Christians in the world around me. And so we want to strengthen and deepen our belief in Jesus Christ to realize how that changes me. And so this starts to, to touch on how we communicate to one another. Yes, to love one another, to be able to speak in the language of the gospel, of dying to self and caring for each other to find unity. But I think that starts to even change the way that we think about how we see each other within the church. I wonder what categories you've kind of formed about the people that you can talk to and spend time with. Maybe all those people are exactly like you. It's not very descriptive of unity, is it? Everybody that I hang out with is exactly like me, same stage of life, same personality. Oh no, this is the beauty of the unity of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ fellowshipping together. It's that it doesn't matter 
what age we are. It doesn't matter what skin color I am. It doesn't matter what my social status is in this world. I can reach out to those who are actually very different than me because we're united in the truth of the gospel. It means I can build relationships with people that the world from the outside looking in would say, why are you friends with them? It's like you don't have anything in common. And yet for us to be able to proclaim, ah, but we have the most important thing in common. The gospel of Jesus Christ that unites us together. And so to the watching world, our unity points to something that is far more important than our current circumstances. It points to something that is eternal. And therefore, in our unity, we are a gospel picture to the world of of what God's work has accomplished in us, not what we're doing for ourselves. And so I wonder, in your conversation with the world around you, with those who don't believe, coworkers and family and neighbors, what do you tell them about who we are and what we do? We're not just a community that gets along and has fun together and enjoys each other. I hope that's part of what we do. But it's the unity of the gospel that is in abundance, that that actually the world should really not be able to understand how we get along and how we love each other and how we find ourselves so much at peace and enjoy with our relationships. Because God has changed us, and we are all his children. That is the message of the gospel that we're proclaiming to the world around us. And so we push outside of our comfort zone to welcome others in who are different than me so that we can unite on the gospel. So reach out to someone this week who isn't just like you. Someone that maybe you wouldn't otherwise get along with. And talk to them about our unity in the gospel. Talk to them about how we can fellowship together and love one another. And strengthen that relationship. It will be a display of God's abundant blessing to us in unity to the watching world. I hope this morning that you see in this text that unity is a good thing to have. To be able to live in harmony with one another. To know that peace. But also to realize that unity is not something that we just create. It is something given to us by God through the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are unified as we point one another and those watching to the truth of the gospel, to the great blessing that God has appointed to us life forevermore. So this week, be people who are pointing to the unity that we have in the gospel. Be ones who are remembering that we are unified because of God's blessing. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would continue to do this work in our lives. You have given us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You have done that work and brought us into unity, into peacefulness and joy with one another because of the work of the gospel. Lord, allow that work to continue on in our hearts. Lord, continue that work so that we might be unified and that we might be a testimony of your work. To be able to glorify you because you have done a good thing in and through us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we desire that work not just for ourselves, not just so we can get along and love one another and be joyful and happy. But Lord, that we would do that work because it glorifies you that you would do that work in us. 
And so, Lord, we look forward to your kind work, your graciousness, your blessing on us, that we might be a unified people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.